Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Last week, the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce helped me host our very first virtual event. I called it Your Voice Matters, a Rural Women Town Hall. I invited over 400 female mayors from across the country, urging them to join and listen to the real issues facing women identifying non-binary and other marginalized entrepreneurs in rural Canada. Four former podcast guests talked about their personal experiences and they shared suggestions about what can be done to fix the systems that were never designed to serve them. Susan Kirkwood sparked the idea for this event, an attempt to simulate sitting around a ceremonial bonfire, each sharing equally. Season and their business say Zunes, are based in Otterburn, Manitoba. Stella Sane and Sweet Pure Honey are in Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan. Cheryl Haskett and Utterly Ridiculous Goat's Milk Ice Cream and Utterly Ridiculous Farm Life are in Bright, Ontario. And Sasha Boulay-DeVost and Capture Therapeutics are based in Grand Falls, New Brunswick. This episode is edited down for time. We're planning another event very soon. Tell us your why about why you became an entrepreneur. Who wants to start? Stella, go. I fell in love with a farmer and everything sort of came after that. I think when you're talking about entrepreneurship for the majority of entrepreneurs that I meet, your heart and soul is in it. 
for most entrepreneurs, it's a way of life. It is a lifestyle and you've been called to it usually because you're in it. So for myself, I fell in love with a farmer and moved to Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan and the rest was history, but I literally fell in love with my job. Sanjikia, I'm an in season. I'm uh, coming to you from the homeland of the Red, Red River Métis, also signed as Treaty One. Um, I became an entrepreneur. Honestly, I've been on this quest all my life. How do I do it? How do I just uh, make my living doing what I want to do? Um, when I, I have a learning disability, I had a really hard time in school. And out of uh, graduation, I said, I'm going to do every single job that I find interesting because I learned hands-on. And at some point, at somewhere down the line in my travels, I will be able to find my rhythm and decide what I'm going to do. I never wanted to settle. Um, and then I settled and it almost killed me. And I went, nope, we got to get back to that other job that I was on where I was actually uh, thriving and surviving. And so uh, jump back on that quest for entrepreneurial um, vitality. And when I actually committed to it and I forgot uh, about what money was and I forgot about what um, a nine to five was and I just started to answer the calls of community um, from a really grassroots level and to decide how I could show up for my community and make the world a better place um, by decolonizing my own business practices and life as I know it and trying to make rural Manitoba, especially where I am, a little more um, palatable and um, better, hopefully, for youth to come up and want to stick around because they're um, not being oppressed. So that's uh, where I'm right now. And hopefully, if we all meet on the land, everyone will start treating Mother Nature a little bit better. And maybe we can start changing the direction of uh, what's happening right now with our global climate. And um, I think we have to do that by bringing all our programs back to the land, which is why I said, you know, after pandemic and all the Zooms, it's time for us to all come back to a community fire and start sharing our stories and um, our inspirations and actually starting getting to the pulse of what our communities are and what they can be. And that comes from leaving our front door and actually engaging with people again in uh, real time. So thank you for having me today. And I'm looking forward to see what the outcome is of this and how far it can go in the world. Sasha, Cheryl, who's next? Yeah. Sasha, do you want to go next? I can go next. Um, yeah, I'm the traditional accidental entrepreneur. I just thought I was broken. <laughs> I thought I couldn't be satisfied with regular life. And I just, uh, yeah, I got bored really fast. And I seemed to see challenges nobody wanted to encounter. And like you said, when you try to fit the mold and it doesn't fit, then uh, you start doing some soul searching. And after I had my daughter, I decided let's quit that job and let's try to see what my actual purpose in life was. And as you know, Sean, I was very dissatisfied with healthcare. So I decided why not take a bite out of that um, and really trying to make an impact that was bigger than just myself. How can I change real lives and real communities and especially small cities that don't get the resources that the larger metro centers get? And I, I would say that even with all this pandemic and the craziness of it, March 13th in New Brunswick is the day I realized for the first time that I am an entrepreneur and what I value is what I create and the employment and purposeful employment I am able to create and make a difference. And the day that that was taken away from me is the day I realized 
know I'm exactly on the path I need to be and I need to grow that. Wow. Okay, Cheryl. Last. Um, I, I have to say, I, I share a bit of the stories that are going on here. Um, I am also a sort of an accidental entrepreneur. I also fell in love with a farmer that I said I would never, ever do. I will never fall in love with a farmer. I will <laughs> never, you know, do goat yoga. I will never, <laughs> never, never. I should never, ever say never because it always comes back to bite me in the rear end. Um, I loved my career. And that was going great. And then there were some challenges in, in the industry uh, on the farm. And, and I was putting all of my heart and soul into someone else's business. And I said, why am I doing that? Um, if I'm going to put my heart and soul into something, I should really make sure that there's a legacy left that I feel good about. And I'm a bit of a control freak. So being an entrepreneur allows me to have those control freak tendencies. And I can flip things on its head. And what people say you can't do, I say, watch me. And um, that's, that's really kind of the drive. You know, I, I wanted to be able to create opportunities for joy. I want to make a difference. And I want to make a difference I can see lasting past myself and, and our family. Um, you know, we started a partnership before we started the ice cream company to give goats for families in need. And, you know, most people, in our previous organization, working with corporate, it's like, you don't give until you make money. And, and I just don't, I just don't think that that's necessary. I think we need to give right out of the gate and find ways to connect our passions with the needs that are out there. And, and I think if you do the right thing, the right things will happen. And so I just want to live out of integrity and out of purpose and out of making joy and I guess Susan was talking about, you know, getting people on the land and having real conversations, real authentic conversations about systems that are broken, our food system, you know, agriculture. There's so many things that we need to just talk about. We need to stop watching YouTube videos and we need to start talking. Everything that all of you said resonates, I think, with so many people. It's, it's time, right? It's time. Um, you faced, all of you, lots of challenges. Can you talk about some of those with us today who wants to volunteer to talk about some of the challenges that you've faced? Challenges are every day. Um, if I don't have a challenge, I'm looking around the corner at what, like, what in the world is happening. I think you have to look for problems. You have to be okay with that. You have to know that challenges are something you're going to face. Otherwise, you're not an entrepreneur. Like you can't possibly be an entrepreneur without challenges. But as a woman entrepreneur in a rural setting, um, in you know, in the, the first business in the food business, not really knowing anything about that, coming in fairly green and working with you know some fairly male-dominated um, areas and industries, and and being told you're too emotional when you're holding someone accountable, being told you know, you should go back to the kitchen barefoot and have babies somehow because I live on a farm, I'm not educated or um, I have a position and, you know, you're not going to make it and in this business. And, and I think it's, it's interesting when, when we use our voice and when we say, you know what, I don't need to work with you. Um, you don't align with our integrity level. You don't align with 
who we are, when you start to hold people accountable for what they're not doing, um, and they push back because you're a woman, and they push back because of a number of things. And, and I think in today's society, it's really sad that we're still having these conversations. Um, it's, it's really disappointing uh, that we're having to even have those, you know, negotiating, um, not being taken seriously, and having to constantly assert yourself uh, in that, you know, just talking to banks, talking to a number of people where, uh, you know, I know if, if it wasn't myself or someone that might not have that ability or that drive, or frankly, that I want to show you um, kind of attitude. Uh, if you shrink back, they win. And so we, we can't shrink to those things. We, we have to stand our ground and we have the same level of equality as any other human being to be in that position and to do the work that we're called to do. And maybe we need to change the system that is making it difficult for everyone that is in a rural space that is woman identifying non-binary or any minority group so that they don't have to fight. That's the thing. Who else would like to speak about challenges? Sasha. I think I'll say like Cheryl there, where are they not? Um, I'll give you a clear picture when I wanted to start my first practice, uh, which was really owner operator, low risk healthcare. Should have been easy. My husband's also an entrepreneur who's a contractor. It's like, yeah, we'll get you lined up. Go get your line of credit. I get to the bank. Yes, I'm eight and a half months pregnant. And of course, immediately, 25-year-old young female. uh, And they're like, yeah, what's the plan for the baby? (laughs) How is that the first question that comes out of your mouth Mm -hmm. when I have, you just told me as a banker, the most comprehensive business plan you've ever seen? How does a plan for my ability to take care of my child? I don't think my husband's ever been asked that. but. I remember that moment realizing, oh, this is a different den. Like, this is going to be what my dad told me I was going to struggle in life with forever was exactly this because I was willing to speak up. I was willing to say, okay, that's not acceptable. And being 25, they told me, well, you know what? Go find a women's business network somewhere that has loans, get them to authorize, and then we'll come in. We're talking about $25,000 line of credit as a professional practice. I wasn't asking for the moon. Fast forward two years, I didn't take a mat leave. Of course, challenging barriers, like bring the kid to work, let's get this done. Uh, We outgrow ourselves and I say, screw it, we're gonna do a $2 million project next. We're gonna build a full center. We're gonna actually cater to these moms and women's health and reach out there. And I hit the same issue, because of course, not great timing, I'm eight months pregnant and I've decided that pregnancy leads to big projects for me. But uh, we like, I find you know, when you meet another entrepreneur, that there are the rare ones where gender doesn't matter, and you recognize that that starvation in someone else's eyes. And this gentleman who invested in me, because there's no way a bank would, even with profitability, proof of concept, um, he just looked at me. He's like, you know what? Someone took a chance on me once. I'm taking a chance on you. And all I ask is you do it next. Because that's what entrepreneurs should be doing, is growing that next generation now. But um, when you think about the amount of barriers for us, and it's not even the concept of barriers added, it's the advantages that aren't seen by the 
other parties that don't even notice they have them. And when you start having those conversations where you can get much deeper into how do we fix it? How do we actually fix these systems? You know, I have such an interesting view on what a challenge is. Um, I've been told no all my life. There's always something. I was always a really rambunctious kid running around the forest wanting to do all the things that everyone was doing. Um, and uh, no, you can't do that. You're a girl. No, that's not ladylike. No, that's blah. I'm like, holy crap. No, you can't do that. Oh, don't tell people you're Métis because people are really racist and they don't understand what that means. Um, so I grew up with a lot of adversity to begin with. And then coming into adulthood, working with jobs, coming, uh, and then having friends who were trans, even back in the early 90s. And um, just being in this whole other world, this sub- subculture that is just frowned upon. And um, um, But aligning myself with the wrong side while, towing, while being with my friends and my chosen family, right? Um, I always was a, the challenge for me is always pacifying and pandering to the people that have the money or the power over me and how I give up part of myself every time because I'm so trained by the system and I'll get choked up. I served 2,780 people on the land through the pandemic, created the best outdoor safe programming, um, Felt like I had really a lot of success. I was around school kids, getting them outside, engaging in winter activities, everything, right? Never got COVID once. I'm double vax, I follow the rules, I wear a mask. I went to a Canadian tire and a Smitty's and like I test every other day, I have COVID. I'm like, really? <laughs> so boundary right now is that I'm going into a busy season. And the challenge I have right now is that everyone just let everyone go willy-nilly with these freedom people. I live surrounded by it. Everyone has a flag on their truck. These are the people I can't pander to anymore. So these are the people that I can't keep giving parts of myself away for. And I'm becoming stronger in my own advocacy uh, and my own empowerment to say, no, you know what? I'm done. And, and I'm coming off um, like duct tape on a hairy chest, you know, like everyone's saying I'm being too abrasive, but I can't come at this passively anymore. And the organizations I'm aligned with and I started a startup community to overcome these challenges because I had to rip off the band-aid. I had to find a way to, to stop allowing people to oppress people. I had to find the language of how to explain what a non-binary person is in the South, why we choose that, why we still choose to accept the, the perception of a female persona by the public as a she, her, why I'm okay with it, because that's not ultimately who I am but also trying to engage in the conversation with people in the power. So the nonprofit organizations who are offering money, offering services, offering training, offering grants, still ticking binary boxes and how to just be really upfront and blunt about it and just say, stop doing that because it doesn't matter. And here's where it matters and trying to have the dialogue. So I guess for me, the challenge is when you talk about, the banks and that saying, go find the woman organizations. I always felt like I couldn't go to that because they didn't make room for me because I was decolonizing who I was in that binary. Cause I'm not that kid who was being told no anymore. And the only way for me to rise above that and become the person who can be a strong advocate was to denounce gender binary completely. 
And um, but I found the language now, which I can help empower the organization, and it's as a perceived female. So I've lived my life, 45 years of it, perceived as female. So I've been facing the same barriers that female uh, people have faced with that extra now <laughs> of, oh, now you're extra freaky um, in, a, in a conservative South Manitoba um, and then showing up for the community. So my challenges here, I guess, are, are very personal and trying to rise above them to be a better advocate and realize that is through my work and through my entrepreneurial vision that I could start taking away and showing people how to do it through action, just by being it and doing it and then presenting stuff and subject matter in a way that people go, oh, why can't we just do that? It looks so easy. And I want to try and make it look easy by doing it. So I'm putting myself in these positions by getting the startup community started to start having that dialogue of how easy it is to transition over because I know everyone has their year plan. They're probably not going to want to conquer these challenges of how to um, connect with non-binary people in their women-led organizations um, until 2023. But hopefully um, by meeting more people that say, we can't ser- get, get your services because we don't feel like we're included. You just don't have, know how to have the dialogue. But I think the only way they're going to have the dialogue is if we start showing up and saying, okay, I'll give you one. <laughs> where do we start? Let's move forward. You know, so that's kind of where my challenges uh, always are. Is one, I'm abrasive because I'm just ripping off the bandaid and not being nice about it anymore. And then two, trying to figure out where I fit in the grand stream of things. So I'm yeah. with season. That's all me I've too. got to say. I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> so you've taught you've taught me, and and now you've taught all the people listening tonight. And and you'll continue. I will always give you a platform to talk and you deserve it. And um, the things that you are doing are revolutionary. The things that you are doing through your business and through your personal life are amazing. For myself, like challenges, I was born with challenges. I don't want to go back to elementary school, but I've had to navigate the system my whole life. So I completely hear you. So that's the difference between whether you are new to adversity or struggle or challenges or whether it's just been part of your life. And interesting, I realize that's what my gift is. I've always struggled. I've always had challenges. So the fact that I still show optimism, hope, and love and want to help, that's my gift. I didn't realize that not everybody had a hard life and not everyone had challenges and not everyone still is optimistic, hopeful, or kind. Not everyone uses the power they have where they are to help people who are struggling or in pain. So I'm just starting to be able to accept that that is a gift, which clearly all of us have. And we have an opportunity to share with other people this gift that we've been born with. And right now the whole world is listening because they're cracked open and they're vulnerable and they're in pain and they want to help other people who are in pain. And that's why we're here together to spark and to ignite that and to show how your actions. So just showing up right now, all of us listening, how that is what you're going to do when you go out into your community 
how you're going to ignite the spark in the community you're in. Hmm. I, I want to just add one little thing as well. And I, I think it's come out in all of the stories, but um, there's this sense, I think sometimes that as a woman, we either have no voice, right? So we're passive, we're pandering to other people, we're kind of giving in um, what we often have this sense of, and, and I still, I think, fight with it sometime, that imposter syndrome, like we're, you know, somehow we're not good enough to be doing what we're doing, um, but somehow some other person is. Uh, but there's this other sense that like you have to either be this empathetic person and kind and listening and understanding and giving in, or you have to be this aggressive person because you can't take it anymore and you're done and it's over. And and I, I would say there's a treasure in the middle of that tension. You can be in the middle of those things. You can be incredibly direct with full integrity and full presence of mind and hold people accountable and still be kind and still be empathetic and still be able to move forward and to say, you know what? I understand that that's how you live life. It's just not how I'm going to live life. And so our partnership is not going to work. And sometimes we have to fire people that don't fit, you know, with the, the life that we want to lead and the business that we want to be in the world. And sometimes that creates hardships and food. There's only so many distributors and I've fired a couple of them. Um, especially for the work that we do. But I just won't work that way if it means I don't have one because I can't work under that system, then there'll be a new system or I'll create one. My husband has jokes now that I'm collecting businesses, but um, sometimes you gotta you gotta make the path that you want. Yeah, Cheryl, I would second that. It's you're either emotional or you're a B. And there is no in between. And even if you are in between, they automatically label instead of seeing you as human and having mm -hmm. to make decisions that are for the long-term good and what sets your value system and what allows you to move forward and sleep at night. And um, I don't think there is a right decision because it's so ingrained that it's going to take a long time of us having conversations and challenging that to not be one or the other. We mentioned it a little bit. But which organizations have been helpful and which organizations have been outright discriminatory? I guess the question that I would ask, as Susan was speaking about power and learning how to navigate when you do have power and when you don't and how to share power, I operate within a system as a business and an entrepreneur where I am constantly aware of public perception of our brand, of our product. Right now, I am currently struggling to save our bee farm. And it's interesting when you have nothing to lose, you literally put everything on the line. So I would say, I, I have to talk about the organizations that first helped me. But what I wanted to say is if an organization, if a town, if a city, if every single business that is supposed to be helping entrepreneurs is not making space for marginalized, 
for non-binary if there is not already an active working link that shows true diversity, I think that speaks for itself. So this is to everyone who operates a website, certainly an organization, certainly if you live in a community and you are offering to help individuals, get that DEI, get diversity, get something on board that is showing that you are a safe place for everyone, for people to go to. Now, that being said, when I came into the community I live in, which is Medicine Hat, Alberta, I left Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan. There was nothing at the time. I can say the current council is now on board with not only helping me with any of our advocacy work, but also with green and community gardens and just moving forward with bees and pollinators. But in the city of Medicine Hat, the Medicine Hat College was the first organization to embrace me and have me speak. But they also have cultural diversity. They have people from all over the world. And I think the biggest thing is what organization is already putting forth an open, inclusive space where you're feeling welcome where I could walk into, season could walk into and just say, hey, I'm here. And everyone's like, hey, what do you do? How can I help you? So I would say right now, if your organization doesn't have a page that is offering how to help everyone where they are, I don't want to call out the organizations that haven't, but let's just say I'm working with several, the top that don't have that already. So it's time to start asking your organizations, your city, your communities, your systems at play. How are you helping people? Everyone, everyone. Speaking to that in in rural communities, nonprofit organizations on a whole, which are, uh, especially in prairies, just being allotted sums of money, go spend this, figure out what to do with it Um, because they're established organizations then they're hiring people to take our jobs away. So entrepreneurs who are already doing the work, already showing up for community, already trying to bring down barriers uh, through business um, are now being overshadowed by a bigger organization that has gotten free money to go out and do the exact same work. This is what I just experienced uh, over the last year. And then I was brought in as a a helper (laughs) and told all these great ways it's gonna help me. Like, well, it could have helped me if you gave me the contract, number one. Number two, um, be, make your nonprofits accountable. Make the people who are, are receiving government grants accountable for the work that they're supposed to be doing. Make them get out of the office and go hit the pavement and actually learn the names of the entrepreneurs in your community. Um, figure out who all your businesses are. Why are they shutting down? Why are they leaving? Why are people having problems in our small communities? We have a pocket. It's a little hub surrounded by a whole bunch of little pockets and businesses um, We have a lot of potential for tourism being close to provincial park, but why isn't tourism part of our strat plan to try and drive uh, economic um, development for our communities? Why why do we rely so heavily on living outside of a a, a metropolis center or 20 minute drive away? We we think too um, able-bodied. We're not removing barriers for people, we're putting up more barriers. So while I'm happy to drive eight kilometers to town, to go and spend money at a grocery store that's going to charge $2 more for a thing of milk, I'm supporting a local business. Sure, I can go drive into the city and hit up five stores, come home with a whole trunk load of stuff, but I'm taking that money out of my community. 
So how do we get all the things that we need in our communities? And I think it starts honestly with the nonprofits who are working side by side with councils to get money, to write grants, um, to fulfill missions and goals, but they're not being fulfilled. The only person getting paid through a pandemic is the person in the office throwing up some social media um, and the odd connection to another, another nonprofit organization that may have thrown up a Zoom or a webinar. So I would like to see more tangible action tasks, more data on um, who they're connecting with, what their profiles look like, and um, how we can really break the cycle that's been been so complacent for so long. I've been at this for four years. Um, I kind of feel like I always call myself a volunteer economic development officer. And I think what it comes down to is um, the entrepreneurs now, we have to find each other. And I think that um, once we can get each other around a bonfire, once we can start getting our collective voices and what we need, we can then deliver, this is what we need to those organizations that have the ability to get the money because the government at no time is going to be letting all of us um, access those grants because they see us as profit bearing. I'm sorry, if you're profit bearing, you live in a rural community in Canada, like bravo, well done because um, my profit is not coming from money. Um, there's so many other benefits that I, I reap. I haven't taken a paycheck through my company in four years. Don't ask me how I do it. It's magic. Um, <laughs> I, I eat leaves and steal um, patches of food from squirrels. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, and what I'm saying is, is, is until the government can make money more available for us to do the work that we're doing to bring communities together, I think that we have to put the faith that whoever's in charge is now making the people in the offices getting free money do better. Cheryl, go ahead. Yeah, I I'm echo all of those things. Um, I will put a like shout out. So one of the organizations that's been incredibly helpful is Innovation Guelph, who have also worked with people outside of Guelph across Canada. Um, incredible partners and a number of women who work there and and really have your back. Um, lots of great men as well that I've worked with through that organization and, and helping connect. And then there's a lot of challenges um, and those challenges are systemic. You think about um, finance in particular. So we, we were fortunate to work with Community Futures. Um, there were some government things, but honestly, we had to sign away my grandchildren's grandchildren and their dog. Um, you know, every piece of land, every possible thing, it's locked in, you know, you've got to sign away personal, professional, every like penny. Um, and not everybody has a land base. I mean, thankfully, you know, there is a land base here, but um, had that not been the case, I'm not sure that regardless of very much like Sasha, I had probably one of the best presentations and full business plans to the nines that they'd ever seen in their life before, but then you're signing away everything. Um, there's really no leeway um, for that. And so just the systems of accessing money and when they talk about, you know, grants and all of these things that the banks have access to, but we're still not getting them. It's still not coming down if you don't have something to offer them in return, um, which is really, really, really challenging. 
there's also a lot of antiquated systems. When we look at municipalities, and I've done lots of work with municipalities and banks in my past life, you know, these systems are old. Um, I recently had to fight to get signage so people could find where we are. One of the stipulations was if you don't have 30,000 visitors a year coming, you can't have a sign. Well, that's insane. And that's not only antiquated, but I don't want 30,000 people stepping on my farm every year. What about sustainability? What about the environment? What about, you know, a different kind of thing? What about recovery? We talk about recovery, but are we really supporting recovery, which is the small entrepreneurial business that are running that? And unfortunately, the, the systems are not in place to keep those running. You know, I just got a message from another woman entrepreneur that's had to close her doors. She can't get access to funding. She can't get access to some other things. And, and I fear that the, the barriers that keep being put in the way are closing down businesses that can actually make a significant difference if they're given the runway that they need. Asha, go ahead. I think you wanted to say something, didn't you? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm known to be respectful, but never quiet, <laughs> I would say, in everything I do. Um, and I, I'm usually against the grain and against the grit. And I keep arguing with myself that we can't always also look at the past of an organization, but truly challenge their current thoughts. So I'm usually the one that's going to cannonball into that all-male league so that they can actually see what the friggin' issue is on the table. Because then you grow these personal relationships. They're like, oh, it's easy. Just do this, that, that. Yeah, come on over. Come do this, that, that, and that. Are you going to sign off on it? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, that's not how my world works. And then when you start, when you're able to build relationships with what sometimes feels like the enemy, but isn't, um, you're able to truly change these bigger they're not bigger minds, but they have more power. We can't pretend like they jump. So I try to use that to my advantage on if they have more power and they're here, I don't want to learn to golf. I'm just going to try to be friends with these guys and these CEO networks. And then I'm going to try to infiltrate. And then, hey, okay, this is where my challenge is. How would you approach it? How would you work with it? And then when I get shunned or it doesn't work this way, then I present all the evidence. And then you've got 10 men who are like, dang, that's not right. And now they're calling and saying, hey, how is this happening? And all of a sudden you get people asking questions. And so I'm usually the very opposite. Um, the more segregated it is, the more I want to get in just to change minds. Um, I've been the victim of the same thing where you do, we have a tiny contract here with a local team uh, to do all their rehab for their professional players. Who doesn't ever get paid? the female-led entrepreneur and you have to argue and you have to get angry and you're offering something that's worth a hundred times more than what you're asking to like, just make it possible, but you're going to spend 20 extra hours on it. And that and time is what makes things run. So having to lose that, that time is the most precious things in my schedule. Like it is for most of you. And we waste so much of it proving our point. It gets, and I remember when I first started, I've knocked on every political door you could. And that door shut so fast or email not even returned. Who does that? Who tells you they'll bring the item up to council 
And then you talk to the one lady on council and she's like, oh no, that was never brought up. And you're like, wow. It, it's you tough. Believe. You still believe people. That's yeah. yes. You actually yeah. believe people when they say what they're going to do. I you. reported different instances of racism to two leading organizations, which was never put on the record. And I had to make a formal complaint for that to get put on the record. So I will be included in hate based incidents and. I'm with you, Sasha. I believe people when they tell me they're going to help me, but unfortunately, that's just not the case. And I think that's what we're all realizing is sometimes you have to continue to push and use the power you have, the power of the systems that say it is fair. You have to figure out how to use that to your advantage. Use them to break them. There's, I don't want to break it. I just want... No, but you got to break certain traditions. You're going to like... I can't wait for the day where you do not need a women's entrepreneurship award or a this. Oh, like, are you kidding me? Can we just have an entrepreneurship award? What's so different between me and you? It, oh, wow. Well, it, because enough women aren't getting recognized. I think that I, I'm going to just ju- drop that in because they weren't getting recognized. Now, can we even the playing field? That'd be great. And and can we That's can we goal. reward can we reward women for things other than sacrifice? Like, it seems like we reward women for, you know, having to give up things to become an entrepreneur or having to sacrifice and volunteer and all of those things. All we, reward, things. we reward them and we criticize them. True enough. I'm just doing it right now. Right. Like, and so we're, we're running out of time. I knew we would. Let's keep going with this vein, though. Let's talk about what what can we do to change things? We've got female mayors from across the country listening and others will, you know, watch this. So what do you suggest to them or what do you suggest to other levels of government? What can they do now to help change these broken systems? I think um, what always comes to, to me in my journey as an entrepreneur is still stuff I don't know. And with these organizations, um, I still don't know which questions I'm supposed to ask them. And I only really benefit from what they're offering when they tell me exactly what they're giving me. If you're going to give money, make it easy. We don't, we don't all get training in, in this really ambiguous grant writing world. Plain language. <laughs> yes. Like, what is plain language? How do you get passion from that? Like someone narrate, narrate for me? what plain language is. I don't know if you've heard me. I don't, nothing plain about me. So when I'm reading plain language, I'm like, man, why would someone give money to that? Make it easy for me to know how I'm accessing you and what question I should be asking you. Give me the questions I should be asking you. So I could thumb through a question book and go, hmm, I have this question. Who can answer that? And so (laughs) any woman right now that has uh, organization. I'm going to talk about WeSTEM. I have an entire team of professional women, university degrees that literally say to me, how can I help you? And they have all acknowledged to me every grant that I've applied for, which I've never gotten the money for, that included hours and hours of writing and researching and data that will translate it into language I can understand. 
And there are organizations that can be offering this to help people where they are to understand this so they can get the money. Use the power you have to help the people without privilege advance. All of you listening right now have power somewhere where you work. I'm working a minimal job right now, and I still help every human being who walks through the door. Recognize your power, where you can use it, and advance people who need help. That's what you can do in this moment right now. I agree with, with everyone, and it's it's these barriers, right? Like, start lowering the barriers to entry. Yeah. Um, plain language, yeah. I mean, grant writing is a nightmare to do. And not only that, like the process to get through it and the timelines to get through it. And then all of the stuff that you have to do to prove every little thing afterwards, I understand that there needs to be accountability. Um, and it doesn't need to be that level of red tape for every single human being to go through. It's just ridiculous. Um, and, and really starting to look at what are the systems that aren't really aligned to what we're saying. Like we're saying advocacy, we're saying, you know, women and diversity, we're saying, um, you know, recovery and small business and entrepreneurs, but I'm not I'm not seeing necessarily how that's coming to fruition without putting, you know, your next five generations on a document where they can take them. Um, so where is the, the real tangible support in that? And the support for people to get the support because not everybody knows how to do some of those things. It You're shouldn't be some salesperson who's going to take 20% of your grant that you've got to like sign on to that slime ball. No, like <laughs> that, that shouldn't be necessary. It's true. <laughs> Sasha? Yeah, and your, your minority entrepreneur doesn't realize that every other minority entrepreneur feels this way. So if you're on council, you're a mayor, you're, go reach out to them. Go have coffee after this conversation and yeah. say, hey, do you feel this way? What can I do here in real time to help you? And if every mayor or council took an hour or their week and spent it meeting two different female entrepreneurs or minority entrepreneurs or any, do you know the impact you could have locally? The power, it's not as high as we think. It starts on the ground. What all of you have been saying is meet people where they are. Meet people where they are and make an effort to meet them personally on the land, in your community. Take the time to find those people. They may not be at your community events. They may not show up at a chamber event or a business improvement association meeting. Find them search for them. They are the people in your data, in your census data, that are the small percentage, but they matter. You need to find them. That is where we're going to end for now. But we're going to continue the conversation. Shout out to Nancy, who at the beginning of this said they are waiving their fees for women entrepreneurs. Yeah. So let's yes. talk about that. If you can waive fees for people who are struggling, do that. If someone can pay, they will. But to have a fee as a barrier to help or to move forward is absolutely ridiculous. 
We all can bend the rules where we can. Know when to waive fees or use your own money to advance humans. And let's keep doing things like that, making things easier for people, making removing barriers. And I know that you have people to run up against. I know you have things, you have boards, you have things to, you know, people to get through, people to get their influence, but it starts with you. this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 